Hello and welcome back to Everyday Anarchism, the show that finds anarchism in your everyday life. I am your host, Graham Colbertson. In last week's episode, Jesus of Nazareth Part 1, Jesus Christ, I said that I was hoping for a really exciting Q&A the week after. However, this Q&A is being recorded before that episode comes out. Um, My uh, daughter is going to have surgery, will have already had eye surgery by the time you are listening to this, so I will not be able to record a Q&A this week, hence I'm recording this one the previous week. I would still absolutely love your questions on the Jesus episode. Um, if they come in soon enough, I'll do a <laughs> Jesus questions roundup the week after uh, Jesus of Nazareth part two. But if they don't come in, as always, I'll just do uh, a different themed episode until enough of the Jesus questions accumulate to make it uh, worth our while. This week's episode is called Who Counts as an Anarchist? Um, Remember, if you have questions or comments, send them in at everydayanarchismpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me at everydayanarchism.com. You can subscribe to the newsletter, which is coming out now, Anarchist Hot Takes. You can also donate to the show if you would like to keep the show alive. Remember, this show is 100% listener-supported. No grants, no sponsors, no advertisements, just your generosity, your mutual aid keeping the show going. And once again, to those of you who have already given, thank you so much. Okay, who counts as an anarchist? In my opening episode, I distinguished between everyday anarchism or mutual aid, lowercase a anarchism, the anarchism of everyday life, anarchy, which is vile slander against anarchism, which says without a boss, we have infinite conflict, and capital A anarchism, political A anarchism, which is often associated with anti-police or anti-property violence or the famous black bloc, the street protesters. I knew at some point I would have to sharpen and defend these distinctions and Boy, oh boy, have the questions been coming in so sooner than I was expecting, which is, again, why your questions are so important, because they tell me, you know, I have an idea of what you want to hear and what you might be wondering, but I don't know until you email me. So lots of questions about anarchism. Who counts as an anarchist? How do I differentiate myself from the black bloc? Should I differentiate myself from the black bloc? That sort of thing. Let's go. They are all the questions are along this line, and I tried to create sort of a narrative, but also I don't write a full script for these Q and A's. So, question one uh, from Ben, and Ben titled his email "Protest in the Streets, Mutual Aid in the Sheets." It feels like you're wanting to separate everyday anarchism from anarchist protesters in the streets. Do you see these groups as two contingents of the same movement having the same motivations but acting on them in different ways? Or do you see their motivations as distinctly different and therefore requiring different actions which may be at odds with each other's aims? And tangentially related, would you describe Antifa as anarchist? As near as I can tell, people who don't like Antifa are more likely to pronounce it Antifa, which personally I find more fun to say. I'll probably say Antifa or Antifa they are interchangeable and there is no true pronunciation for anything anarchist which antifa is anarchist because there's no true anything in anarchism okay so first antifa we're 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 not gonna win 
in this game of definitions. Nevertheless, I will give my best attempt to work out these definitions. So I think when people say Antifa, they are really referring to the black block people who go out, um, punch Nazis, counter protest against Nazis, stand up to the riot police, although usually not violently. That's an important distinction I will get to in a second. And that organization is obviously anarchist. They come out of the anarchist tradition. Many of them identify as anarchists. They have cells and mutual aid societies, not centralized organizations. They don't have spokespeople. They refuse hierarchy. And in fact, insofar as Black Lives Matter has leaders, BLM and Antifa being two not identical but not fully separate either movements, BLM is organized the same way. It is also, insofar as it has founders, explicitly an anarchist movement. So both of these two driving forces of the Trump era protests are definitely anarchist. But of course, when you criticize Antifa on the internet or um, on TV, you will get people yelling at you. How dare you? Antifa just means anti-fascist. It has nothing to do with the, pro, the, the black bloc. The black bloc is Antifa, but everyone who hates fascist is Antifa, and you cannot demonize Antifa. Now, there is a terrible tradition of demonizing all, quote, extremist people. I think this is ridiculous. Hilariously, there is a fairly anarchist soccer team in the, or football club, I should say, Fußball Club um, in Germany that I'm a supporter of, St. Pauli or St. Pauli, and some of their logos were included on uh, the British police uh, distributed to teachers, like dangerous extremist logos to look out for, and one of them was the logo of of a football team, of a soccer team. But it's a left-wing soccer team, so ooh, look out. They're scary. Don't let your kids support a second-division German football team. That's just a gateway to Antifa. Okay, so obviously I'm not not buying this overreaction and fear of Antifa. But I'm also not buying the definition that Antifa is everyone who opposes fascism. If you use that definition... um, then the black blockers are Antifa, Black Lives Matter is Antifa, Dwight D. Eisenhower is Antifa, Winston Churchill is Antifa, Angela Merkel is Antifa, J. Edgar Hoover was Antifa, Joseph Stalin was Antifa. That's That category, to go back to the pragmatic method that I keep mentioning, has no value. Any category that includes Black Lives Matter, Angela Merkel, J. Edgar Hoover, and Joseph Stalin is useless. I'm quite happy to think of Antifa as a far left, which you know that that's not a problem, that's not something I have a problem with, a a current, recent, 21st century, far left opposition to the rise of the alt-right. So the Antifa, just like anarchists, may or may not be black blockers, but they are definitely not Angela Merkel. So really, uh, to go back to Ben's question about whether everyday anarchists and the black bloc, who I used as a representative for capital A anarchists, but it's always more complicated than that. So are everyday anarchists and the black bloc, do they have the same goals and different tactics? Or ultimately, do they have 
different goals. And I'm going to give you now a taxonomy. This is, look, this is what I do. If you're listening to this podcast, you better expect intellectual taxonomies. That's kind of the heart of my thing of protest. So here's four types of protesters. David Graeber says, uh, anarchism, you are not an anarchist. Anarchism is something you do. So let's look at these things that people do when they take to the streets and protest. And I will tell you, uh, to what extent I think they are compatible with everyday anarchism. So the first one is the destruction of property, the deliberate destruction of property. So we're not talking about um, riots or looting as protest, which is uh, riots or, or looting. I mean, there's always some people who loot or destroy things opportunistically, but we're really talking about the um, deliberate choice to destroy property to make a political statement. Uh, There's a a long tradition of breaking windows, especially in banks or breaking corporate businesses. Um, Assassination is part of this tradition. Um, Really, that got started in the 19th century before anarchism crystallized, but... uh, The anarchists, for example, um, did practice assassination. That was part of Propaganda by the Deed. Emma Goldman um, collaborated with Sasha Berkman to kill uh, Henry Clay Frick, who was a famous industrialist in Pittsburgh. And if you go to New York City, he left a beautiful, beautiful art collection, the Frick Collection. So that's number one, going out to break things or kill with political reason. Um, Number two, I'm going to try and take these, like, each levels of extremity down. Number two is the black block. Now, the way the black block works, I never defined it for you. And maybe when I explain how the black block works, or at least how it's supposed to work a little better, you will see actually that it is an expression of everyday anarchism if it can be distinguished from number one, the deliberate destruction of property or taking of life. And by the way, there's people who would loathe that I put the destruction of property and the taking of life in the same category. You can separate them out into 1A and 1B if you want to. So the way the black block works is it is an expression of solidarity. They all wear black. They tend to wear helmets. They wear goggles. They carry first aid and various anti-tear gas things. And they have the goal to confront the police, but not usually to fight the police or to provoke the police. If they're going out to fight or provoke the police or going out to fight or provoke the Nazis, I'll move them into group one. But the classic black bloc thing is not to do that. It is to do a really forceful protest and one that directly confronts the police in an organized and militant way, but not in a violent way. The third way is the, is the in my opinion, the all-time greatest, the best. That is non-violent resistance of the kind really first articulated by Thoreau, but most famously practiced by Gandhi and MLK. You march, you strike, you boycott, you get out there, and you do illegal things. You get arrested. You sit in. You invite You give the riot police a chance to attack you, but you are not wearing goggles. You are not wearing a helmet. You accept, it's really in a certain way, in the spirit of Jesus, you accept the full force of the violence of the state in a way, willingly, without fighting back, barely even protecting yourselves, except uh, they often practiced going limp. 
Bayard Rustin, Diane Nash, John Lewis, and King, as I've mentioned, um, used these tactics in the late 50s and 60s, and I would say achieved more faster than any other movement in history. The final kind of protest is a fake protest, a bullshit protest. It's a demonstration. You, uh, you bring a sign, you bring your kids, you file for a permit. If the government says you can't protest, you just don't protest because, you know, it's the law. If the police tell you the protest is over, you just leave, you disperse after 60 minutes. That crap. I went to the Women's March in Columbia, South Carolina, after Trump was elected and like a lot of people stood up on the um, on the steps of the state capitol. And it felt like a very powerful moment and people were carrying signs. And then after people stood on the steps of the capitol for like three minutes, an organizer yelled at them to leave and they were like, no, we're going to stay. And he told them to check their privilege. And they said a man shouldn't be in charge of a protest. But then they did go leave and they did it supposedly some sort of learning somewhere. That's BS. I'm glad I went. It might have changed a few minds. The government didn't care. In fact, the government uh, was happy for this to happen. Number four is easy. Demonstrations. Marches of this kind with an approved route and the police allow it and you stand in the Capitol steps for three minutes and then squabble exchanging left-wing slogans against one another and then you go home that's not that's not anarchist uh <laughs> that's that's I, I i refuse to accept that as anarchism it's not necessarily bad it's not that great okay now number one this is the definition of anarchism that uh most people are working with it's more extreme than the black bloc um it's violent now i am not aware of anarchist assassinations for decades if not like a century it, this is what most people when you hear anarchism you think of the assassination of william mckinley or the assassination of the czar czar alexander the something maybe alexander the second i don't remember but you know the czar actually wasn't assassinated by anarchists and mckinley was assassinated by someone who heard emma goldman speak once but we don't even know he was an anarchist so anarchists have done assassinations, but not much. Most political assassination is not done by anarchists. But what these ex more extreme than the Black Bloc people do is they do break windows. They break windows or they destroy corporate uh, offices or banks. And they say, it's okay. It's insured. I'm fighting corporations, etc. I will accept this as anarchism. I think it is. But also I think it's wrong and i think it's counterproductive not just tactically wrong i think it actually is a version of anarchism that i am against you've heard me say that mutual aid is what makes corporations work so when you break those windows yeah the window isn't sure but some working person has to clean that shit up some working person has to lose a part of their day a part of their life restoring the mcdonald's that you bombed and the fact that it's insured means the corporation doesn't have to pay anything in the long run. Okay, so the corporation and the insurance both have to pay a little in the long run, but they just find a way to take that money from us, the people. So that that doesn't work. And the reason why I think it might be a version of anarchism, but it is not everyday anarchism, is I think this puts you not in mutual aid 
with the person who actually has to do the shit work of cleaning up the broken windows or rebuilding the bombed out McDonald's. In that respect, this isn't this isn't mutual aid. They the these people will say things like no gods, no masters, but they are more interested in destroying the system than being in solidarity. You can certainly do both as an anarchist and to a certain extent you have to do both, but it's my view if you do only one especially if that one is the destructive impulse. The destructive impulse in anarchism should always be secondary, at least for me and for everyday anarchism, to the constructive impulse. So this really just comes down to, you know, the Bayardriston, Diane Nash, MLK, John Lewis style of protesting versus the Black Bloc style. And in a lot of ways, they are not that different. They are both illegal or willing to be illegal. They don't stand down. And the key thing in both of them is that they show the violence inherent in the system. If you can think of that moment in Monty Python's The Quest for Holy Grail, where uh, the peasant is being repressed and he screams, come and see the violence inherent in the system. Come and see the violence inherent in the system. The peasant has done nothing but argue with the king and the king and his men are attacking him. The black block do not or are not supposed to carry sticks and rocks. So when they get hit with the clubs, that is the system doing violence, not the black block. That is why I'm distinguishing them from group number one, the people who do violence against other people, or the less extreme version, do violence against corporate property, which in my opinion comes down to extorting labor from the people who have to uh, replace that property. If you actually destroyed McDonald's and it never got rebuilt, sure, but I don't see that happening. I would say they're both anarchism and I would say they're both everyday anarchism. They spring from mutual aid. In the Mike Duncan story, he's in the wrong place because he's between the black block and the cops. And in this respect, the black block is superheroes. Mike Duncan is supposed to be behind the black block. And so when the people come with the nightsticks and the tear gas and the non-lethal rounds that can still kill you. The Black Bloc is there. They're not armed, but they are armored. So it is about protection. It is about getting in the way. It is about preventing violence against regular people. In that respect, it is good. But there are a few key differences between the Black Bloc and the King-style protest that I really prefer. The first thing is the Black Bloc tends to be pretty homogenous. It's almost always all or majority young people and young people who are very engaged in left-wing politics. That's what's called a vanguard. Literally, vanguardism or a vanguard is the elite force of an army that goes first to, to, to bear the initial blow. And then the regular soldiers can come up and they won't get overwhelmed. And I don't believe in vanguardism. Anarchism usually, traditionally, has not believed in vanguardism. Uh, all sorts of socialist movements, including Marxists, believe in vanguardism, right? You need the good people, the best people to take some real steps and then everyone else can come next. Anarchism says, this is all of our fight. We should all do it together. MLK did not have a vanguard. He did not have young people in front of him to get hit. He 
was willing to go first, was willing to get hit, was willing to get arrested. There was also enormous diversity in this movement, and diversity really, I mean, of ideology and age. There were white nuns who marched with MLK, and there are iconic photos of those nuns. The Black Bloc is there for mutual aid, just like the nuns are there for mutual aid. But it's just so much more effective. When people see riot police arresting the Black Bloc who look like rioters, they say, aha, the system is doing its job. When people see the riot police hitting college students, dressed like college students, and middle-aged clergy and elderly nuns, they say there is something wrong. Your average person, and the point of anarchism is to get everybody on the same team. No vanguards, no gods, no masters, but no gods and no masters within the anarchist tradition. So your regular person sees the riot police hitting the nun and says, Oh, I know whose team I'm on. I am on team nun. The other thing that's very important is that the Thorovian tradition of nonviolent resistance is completely open and above board. That is its greatest strength. Here I am. Here I stand. I can do no other. One of my professors from grad school came to one of my classes to talk about the falling down of the Confederate monument, the, the, the taking down of the Confederate monument by, you know, Antifa, anarchists, BLM, whatever you want to call them, the Black Bloc. So this monument was taken down by these people, and they did it in the dark. And they did it with banners in the way, and they distracted the police first so that they couldn't get caught. And this professor was walking my students through Thoreau's argument and showing that the people who took down the Confederate monument were really following the Thoreau playbook. And then he sort of stopped and had to be like, although... The fact that they did it in the dark with masks on is a big difference. I saw people demanding other people take down Facebook pictures that they had posted of the Black Lives Matter protests because they were afraid the state would use that to put them in jail. And I would say the traditional Thoreauvian, Kingian thing is go right ahead. This is my face. Put me in jail. Come and see the violence inherent in the system. And when people hear that vandals, hooligans, anarchists tore down a statue under cover of darkness, they're going to blame us for the violence. Wrongly, wrongly. But the goal is to convince people, yes, the Black Bloc is anarchist. Yes, it is even everyday anarchist. It's about solidarity and mutual aid. I simply think it is misguided or unwise from a propaganda by the deed perspective. I think it's going to get a lot less people on board than the more classic style of protests. If you're out there with the black block getting hit by a stick, getting shot by a rubber bullet, and you're doing it to protect someone else, yeah, that's everyday anarchism. That's mutual aid. Okay, moving on. Paul asks, I'd like to know more about the word anarchism. Where did it come from, and why is it important to use this word specifically? Is it different from anarchy, and if so, how? 
During the first episode, I was struck more by another word, cooperation. In fact, it seemed to be the thread between the four C's you laid out. Could your podcast not be called Everyday Cooperation? If not, why not? Lucy Parsons, who is a famous anarchist and uh, founder of the IWW, the Wobblies, which was a big uh, anarchist union in the first part of the 20th century, points out that Webster's Dictionary has two definitions um, for anarchy. The first one is chaos, and the second is lack of a ruler. And Paul, to answer another part of your question, anarchy and anarchism traditionally have been defined to mean the same thing. I'm trying to put a little distance between them, but that's just the way I'm structuring it. Many people have structured it differently. The The word comes from the Greek, and it literally just means, you know, no ruler. Monarchy, one ruler. Anarchy, no ruler. The government of no one is how this uh, scholar of anarchism, Ruth Kenna, defines it. She has an amazing book called The Government of No One, Theory and Practice of Anarchism. Um, I highly recommend it. I might link to it in the show notes. And Plato, who is against anarchism and even against democracy, essentially says anarchism is when people refuse to be governed. All, All forms of government, to a certain extent, are cooperative. Plato would agree with me on that. And everything falls apart if people refuse to cooperate. And then eventually, this Greek word, meaning refusal to cooperate, really, but literally just meaning no government, comes into use in 16th century English. So like Milton, who I think is mostly an anarchist, uses anarchy to mean chaos, to mean disastrous lack of government. Percy Bysshe Shelley uses it even considerably later to to mean overbearing, violent government. So anarchy is just, we just know anarchy is bad. And the first person to use the word, to put this uh, new name to the old ideas of anarchism, is Proudhon, a mid-19th century French thinker. He invents anarchism or anarchy as a term, and it is supposed to be shocking. He just means cooperation. But he also means that cooperation cannot coexist with power, with the state, with coercion, with government. So, yes, Paul, I could call it everyday mutual aid or everyday cooperation. But that only contains one half of the beauty of the word anarchism or anarchy. Anarchism is exactly what we are taught in kindergarten is the best thing. And we are also taught, definitely in school, that if you don't have a boss, you'll have chaos. The government of no one means disaster and violence. So the word is meant to be shocking. Yes, it means I have to have discussions like today where I try and say, yes, anarchists have traditionally assassinated people, but actually not that much, and that sort of thing. Yes, it makes you have this difficult conversation, but it foregrounds the radicalism. And ironically, it foregrounds how unradical anarchism is. It's this beautiful, delicious irony or paradox The most radical thing you can believe is also the thing that we teach every four-year-old. 
And if we just said cooperation, I feel like people would nod their heads and be like, oh, yeah, cooperation is good. I don't know if I'm going to listen to that podcast, though, or read books about it because everyone knows cooperation is good. But anarchy is bad. Everyone knows anarchy is chaos. What if anarchy is harmony and government is chaos? Wow, that is an idea worth pursuing. So the beauty of mutual aid, but also the provocation of anarchism. I wanted both of them in the name. Hence, everyday anarchism. Which brings me to another question. Dylan asks, the Black Bloc Association is so quick to the minds of the uninitiated. Most of us who share your philosophy don't want to go around saying we're anarchists and then explaining that that's not the kind we mean. Why keep that name on the marquee and not some other one that isn't so firmly associated with violence while still espousing the values of human decency and mutual aid? Now, Dylan and Paul's questions were close enough that I think I've already partially answered Dylan's question. It is something about the intellectual challenge, the provocation, the paradox. Anyone who takes the idea of everyday anarchism seriously will have to rethink their views of the world. And just calling it mutual aid or radical democracy. Who could be against radical democracy? Democracy is great. Yay, we all love democracy. But the other answer for me, Dylan, is the tradition. So I find the tradition to be so rich. There's the people who call themselves anarchists. Proudhon, Bakunin, Kropotkin, Goldman, Lucy Parsons, Oscar Wilde, Gandhi, Orwell, Bell Hooks, David Graeber. And then there's the people who, you know, I think are anarchists, but didn't necessarily use that word. John Milton, Galileo, Emerson, Thoreau, Whitman, Sartre, de Beauvoir, and Camus, Tolstoy, Jane Addams, Randolph Bourne, Martin Luther King, Paolo Freire, Audre Lorde, Abdullah Ocalan. These people are giving me strength as I try and make my way through this difficult time. But... I only, through my studies, until I came to anarchism. I mean, I got a PhD on the late 19th and early 20th century in the cultural history and the politics of this era, and yet I never studied anarchism. Everyone I studied was from that second list of people who didn't actually use the word anarchism, or someone like, say, George Orwell or Gandhi, who used the word anarchist, but they don't have anarchism on the first line of their obituary. Their anarchism is to a certain extent hidden. Actually, <laughs> around the same time as the uh, pandemic happened, I, I, I invented anarchism. Uh, it took me 20 years of reading without reading Kropotkin. I was, you know, synthesizing Jane Addams and MLK and Thoreau and all these people, and I just finally came up with anarchism. And then one of my old students... He suggested that I read um, The Soul of Man Under Socialism by Oscar Wilde. That's Oscar Wilde's Anarchist Manifesto. And I read it and I thought, what? It took me 20 years to invent this. And it was already invented. But no one told me because I never even read Kropotkin. He shows up in Jane Addams's work about her. I mean, Jane Addams basically invented social work. And he shows up and she's just like, yeah, but the anarchists are wrong. So I didn't study Kropotkin. Even though Jane Addams said he was fascinating and wonderful, I just was like, oh, anarchism, that's bad. 
in the whole time I was inventing anarchism. I don't want anyone to ever have to do that again. I don't want I don't want anyone to ever have to try and formulate for themselves something called radical democracy or pragmatist liberalism, the kind of things I was calling my project because I didn't know that Kropotkin and Emma Goldman had already done it. There is a richness and a power to this anarchist tradition, and that keeps me going with this project, with knowing that I am part of this broader and so beautiful movement. And I think if you come along with me on this podcast, this journey of discovery and uncovering of all of these amazing ideas, you too will find value in this tradition. And the only word that captures the uh, radical power of, of love and hope and mutual aid and the struggle, as well as the love of defiance and, and protest and liberty, the only thing that combines them is anarchism. And the anarchists did this work 100 and 150 years ago and so I want the people who believe in this and agree with this to not think we're doing something new, but realize we are carrying on an older tradition. One last question. Elijah asks, From my limited understanding of Tolstoy, while he did advocate for an anarchist system, he wanted to achieve it through moral-slash-spiritual-slash-ethical progress not political progress, why is it fair to lump in such religious communitarians with political visionaries? Okay, so I keep mentioning the pragmatic method. I'll mention it again. It comes from William James, and it basically says ideas should be judged on what they produce. So if someone says, I don't believe in socialism, but of course it makes sense to have free K-12 education. That's just a basic tenet of liberal democracy. And someone else says, the essence of socialism is education. So as a socialist, I believe we must have free K-12 education, and liberals will always oppose truly universal education. Well, they have the same belief. So I don't care what words they use. So if people use the same word to mean different things, then they really believe different things. And if people mean the same thing, with different words, the pragmatic method says they really believe the same thing. And I, as a lover of the pragmatic method, say, well, Proudhon thought that anarchism could be achieved through, let me look back, Elijah basically says, through moral slash spiritual slash ethical progress. That's what Proudhon thought. The first user of the word anarchism in this sense didn't want to have a violent revolution. Now, let me read a little bit, a little excerpt from The Government of No One by Ruth Kinna. I will say, I forgot when I mentioned her earlier, Ruth Kinna is coming on the show uh, in December to talk about anarchism, Kropotkin, and Christmas. So get excited for that. I have to tell you, I am absolutely overjoyed that she is coming on the show. I can't wait. All right, so uh, what you hear, I hope you can hear this is Ruth Kinna's book. She's writing about... Um, Tolstoy and Bakunin. Anarchists have often invoked Bakunin and Tolstoy to variously reject and embrace religion in the name of anarchism. 
Had Bakunin and Tolstoy rehearsed their ideas with each other directly, the commonalities of their critiques might have become more apparent. Neither version of the thesis endorses religious institutionalism, and both require individuals to consider what pronouncements they will accept as authoritative. Both distinguish consent from obedience and willfulness from duty. Moreover, both call on individuals to exercise judgment, which often requires courage, and it is an essential step towards non-domination. So Bakunin says, if you believe in God, you believe in domination, hierarchy, and the church. And Tolstoy says, if you believe in God, then you do not believe in domination, you do not believe in hierarchy, and you do not believe in the church. So both of them say, if you believe X, you are against domination, you are against hierarchy, and you are against the church. Bakunin calls X anarchism. Tolstoy calls X God. As far as the pragmatic method is concerned, and me personally, I don't care what you call it. And if the fruit of the spirit is anarchism, then the idea must be anarchism. One last thing for Elijah, a quote from Tolstoy. The anarchists are right in everything, in the negation of the existing order and in the assertion that without authority, there could not be worse violence than that of authority under existing conditions. They are mistaken only in thinking that anarchy can be instituted by a violent revolution, but it will be instituted only by there being more and more people who do not require the protection of governmental power and by there being more and more people who will be ashamed of applying this power. Tolstoy is writing, in this case, I think, against anarchists as defined by Bakunin and Kropotkin, who both do call for revolution. Emma Goldman, though, shortly after this was written, decides that she is against revolution, and Proudhon was against violent revolution. Tolstoy says the anarchists are right about everything except that they believe in violent revolution. But the canonical anarchists do not agree on violent revolution. Some of the biggest ones, including the founder, Proudhon, are against the idea of violent revolution. So as far as I'm concerned, Tolstoy is an anarchist. That's it for this week. Remember to send me questions at everydayanarchismpodcast at gmail.com or go to everydayanarchism.com to sign up for my newsletter or support the show. And remember that ratings on Apple Podcasts are another way to support the show or just tell your friends. Thank you all once again. Jesus of Nazareth Part 2 is out next week. And all that's left to say is the theme song, which you're about to hear, is by David Hill.